Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Jesus 911 on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Ruben and Jesse. We're 10-8. Jesse, how are you doing? Reporting for duty, sir. Yep, we're 10-8, Ruben. Uh, Another day to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to serve the Queen Mother. Yes. Ruben, you know, on today's first topic, one of the things that I'm glad is that I never chose the route of politics. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, I, I, I believe that people that have that much power it's going to be very hard for them to humble themselves to live in a state of sanctifying grace and to surrender their life to Christ. Yeah. It's just, um, there's just some occupations that are just a little bit more difficult for somebody to embrace a life of faith and humility and, and hope and, uh, and surrendering yourself to Christ. So, uh, I'm just, uh, thankful that we are not politicians, Ruben. <laughs> yeah, that is true. And, uh, it's, and we're going to see this cranked up in the next uh, couple of weeks here with, with the midterms coming up. It's going to get ugly. And uh, there's going to be a lot of... Uh, one thing, I don't know if you've heard, um, and I don't have the exact quote on me, but Gavin Newsom is putting signs up, our, our governor here, yes, yes, signs up across, you know, um, in red states that uh, he, he's putting them up, that, yeah, come to California for your abortions, you know. <laughs> And he and he's trying to quote scriptures, you know, saying, "Hey, love thy neighbor." You know, it, it's just it's it's disgusting. This guy's uh, sick, Ruben. No, no, no. This guy's a sick puppy. And I'll tell you, uh, Gavin Newsom, Ruben. I never realized how, how demented this guy was. It's bad. He's also, <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. Um, I'm also reading here where it says, "Catholic leaders opposed to human composting law." California Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom on Sunday signed into law a bill that would allow Californians to have their bodies composted after they die. The state's Catholic bishops oppose the measure, and the church authorities have regularly weighed in on this issue, as well as a related issue surrounding cremation. So apparently uh, you'll have the option to have your body composted and uh, your family can just bury it, uh, you know, just place it around a tree or a bush or, you know, wherever they want wow. something to grow. That's crazy. And he, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's planning a run for president. I think that people are saying that if, if, uh, Biden, oh, yeah. Biden doesn't run, he's going to, uh, put his, 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 you know, he sees Biden, how he sees how weak Biden is. Yeah. And Ruben, this guy, this guy lives in an alternate reality because this guy thinks he's doing a great job in California. Yeah. yeah. And the only reason California has any money is because they got that, you know, they got that stimulus money, billions and billions of dollars from from their buddy uh, Biden. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason why California is solvent right now. If it was, if it wasn't for all that federal money that that uh, Biden threw at them, uh, that state would be it would be pretty broke, Ruben, because the the Dems don't know how to run an economy. No. And, you know, I think I, the last count I heard was like something like 600,000 people have left California for other states. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a record. It's never been that high before. I mean, no, you know, we, usually pe- more people go into California than leave California. Yeah, exactly. But this is the other way around. Yeah. So uh, pride is getting in the way there. So, yes, sir. Well, let's talk about pride. OK, go ahead. Just start it off. 
Yeah, why pride is the birth mother of all sin. This is written by a Catholic priest. In our first look, fresh look at the seven deadly sins, we now consider the deadliest of them all. Pride. Usually people say, me first, always first. Yeah. So said the man waving a gun, having just emerged from his car in an intersection in a case of road rage that almost turned tragic. Isn't that a vivid illustration of the deadly sin of pride? We've been uh, taking a fresh look at the seven deadly sins. You know, you, you have envy, sloth, gluttony, anger, lust, greed. But pride is called the birth mother of all deadly, deadly sins, according to Catholic theology. Pride is the worst of sins because it involves a full-scale inversion of reality. If sanity is an ordering of one's life in harmony with reality, the same person says, God is God and I am not God, and I must act accordingly. Yep. A, a man, both fallen and wise, will say, God is all holy, I am not holy, and so I am not pleasing to God. I must be reconciled with God, a task that requires my cooperation but is beyond my power. Someone both sane and wise will be well disposed to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. But pride is the worst of sins because it involves a full-scale inversion of reality. Pride is delusional, yep. spiteful, bitter. At its root, it declares, I don't want God to be God. I want to be God. That sounds like Satan. I would rather have anyone or anything be God except God himself. Pride is arrogant. That is, pride arrogates. It presumptuously attributes to oneself the status, rights, and merits of another. It seeks to attribute divinity to the creature, which would be ridiculous if it weren't so deadly. That's exactly the sin of Lucifer. Ruben? Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a mystic, stigmatist, martyr, and Carmelite nun, uh, St. Miriam uh, Barodi, Sister Mary of Jesus Crusoe, that was her, her name she took, describes pride this way. The proud person is like a grain of wheat thrown into water. It swells, it gets big, expose that grain to the fire, it dries up, it burns. The humble soul is like a grain of wheat thrown into the earth. It descends, it hides itself, it disappears, it dies, but to revive, but it, to revive in heaven. Oh, what a beautiful thought. Uh -huh. It isn't surprising to see that we must talk about humility as a remedy for pride, but first we must see how terribly damaging pride is. A pride is a rejection of our status as creatures with a, with a nature and limitations and a rejection of God who is absolute and sovereign. Consider these uh, observations from Cardinal Sarah in a re recent interview. Hope he's the next pope. That would be great. Cardinal Sarah sees the whole Western civilization crumbling. While the 4th century barbarians conquering Rome came from outside, now the barbarians are inside. They are those who refuse their own human nature, who are ashamed to be limited creatures who want to think of themselves as demerges de de without fathers and without heritage. Demerge is just, uh, it, there's a couple of meanings, a powerful creative force or personality, a public magistrate in some ancient Greek states, or, or could it be a deity in Gnosticism or Manichaeism or other religions? Um, the Cardinal explains that by refusing the human network of dependency, inheritance, and filiation, these rebels are condemned to enter the naked jungle of competition in a self-sufficient economy. Rejecting dependency, inheritance, and filiation, these are the sure marks of pride. To be a creature is to, to be dependent. 
A creature must admit that he did not bring himself to into existence and cannot sustain himself in existence. He's dependent for his very existence upon the supreme being who created him. Consequently, that supreme being is worthy of gratitude and worship as a matter of justice. To that realization, pride says no. To be a creature, living in time is to have an inheritance. We must be good stewards of all the wisdom and achievements, the examples of good and bad, that have been bequeathed to us by our ancestors. It is undeniable that over time our ancestors proved repeatedly that men are men and women are women, that family is the building block of human society, that betraying God leads to betrayal of neighbor and betrayal of self. I can learn from my ancestors that if I desire what is bad... I must reorient my desire to what is good. To that realization, pride says no. To be a creature is to be affiliated and affiliated. We are made in the image and likeness of God who is a person. We are begotten by a divine person who is rational, free, and good. Our dignity has divine origins. For Christians, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God because we are affiliated. We are also affiliated. We are sons and daughters who have brothers and sisters. We have an obligation of justice and charity to our fellows, to our fellows, including the preborn, the elderly, the sick, and the weak. To that realization, pride says no. Saints and sages have always said that the uprooting of pride begins with humility, simply a telling of the truth about God and about ourselves. Don't un- un- underestimate the power of humility. Saint John Climacus reminds us. Humility is the only thing that no devil can imitate. That's a powerful mm. line right there. Yeah. I'll say it again. Humility is the only thing that the, no devil can imitate. Uh, I'll, I'll, th- that's an important point, Ruben, because, for example, <clears throat> let's just talk about the extraordinary, the charismatic gifts. The devil can, can imitate elocution. The devil can imitate the gift of tongues. The devil can imitate prophecy. He can imitate all the extraordinary gifts. The devil can even levitate people. Mm -hmm. God can levitate. Angels can levitate. The demons can levitate. And and so, but the only thing the devil can't imitate is the, the virtue of humility. And I say this, Ruben, because there's a lot of Catholics that are cases of possession. What will happen is... Is be, they have what's called spiritual lust or spiritual gluttony. You know, they'll go to the, the parish basement on Tuesday night with, a, you know, Susan from parish council. And, you know, they'll start praying. Oh, Holy Spirit, give me the gift of tongues. Oh, Holy Spirit, give me the gift of prophecy. Oh, Holy Spirit, give me the gift of interpretation. As they're whipping themselves up in an emotional frenzy with song and they're raising their hands up in the air. Guess what, Reuben? Mm. You know who also shows up to those events? Satan. Because Satan sees... There's a lack of humility that people aren't happy with what God has given them. And what they're doing is, uh, as the Council of Trent says, that none of us can merit the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of these people, instead of getting the gift of the charismatic tongues from the Holy Spirit, they end up getting the gift of tongues from Satan. And they end up, they end up becoming cases of in, uh, in, uh, in rooms of, uh, of uh, solemn exorcism. All right, come, we'll be right back. Continue to talk about pride on the other side of the break.
now. Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Good morning, Jesus 911. And uh, we're talking about pride and uh, on the first segment, and we're going to fi- uh, finish up with that here. And, uh, you know, when, when I looked at the scripture, Jesse, the, um, the book of Proverbs says that pride goes before disaster and a haughty spirit mm. before a fall. It's better to be humble with the poor man than to share plunder with the proud. And, you know, G.K. Chesterton, he, he even remarked, if I only had one sermon to preach, it would be a sermon against pride. <laughs> yeah, yeah Ruben, all the great writers of the church, like St. Augustine was asked, what is the greatest virtue? He said, well, there's three, actually. He said, humility, number two, humility, number three, humility. Mm. So you have the all the giants, St. John Vianney, the giants of the church are always talking about the importance of tapping into the virtue of, of, uh, of humility. Right. To overcome not only our fallen nature, but also the dia- the ordinary temptations from Satan. Reuben, let's move on to an article written by our friend, Father Dave Nix. Uh, the article is called, He Who Is Not Against Us Is For Us. And what he does, what he does in this article, Reuben, he talks about, <clears throat> again, he knows that we're the one true church, and he affirms that. But he also, also admits that there are Protestants... <laughs> that seem to be more Catholic than some of our bishops. I can name you a few, Ruben. When I hear them speak, they speak more Catholic than some of our bishops. Mike Huckabee, uh, Mike Lindell, uh, Franklin Graham. I mean, those are just a few off the top of my head that I can tell you. Oftentimes when I hear them speak, they sound more Catholic than some of our bishops. Mm, yeah, And that's, that's the point that Father Nix is making here in this article. He says, the late Father Gabriel Amorth was the chief exorcist of Rome in the 20th century under Pope John Paul II. In his second book, An Exorcist More Stories, he recounts on page 124, a soldier with a demon who had originally met with him but couldn't make future appointments. Father Amorth writes, Continuing with the story of this young soldier, he called me to cancel our fourth appointment, citing military duties. Several months later, I received a letter from him. He told me that he had to leave Rome because he had been suddenly transferred to northern Italy. He gratefully thanked me for the help I had provided and joyfully reported the events that had led to his complete deliverance. Ruben, what led to his complete deliverance? Well, the soldier wrote this, uh, the exorcist, out of the blue. He says, uh, I'm completely healed. It was the Spirit of Jesus Christ who cast out the demon I had inside. I did not believe I could be healed because the pain was so strong. Even less did I believe that I could be healed so quickly. By pure chance, I met a member of an evangelical Christian group who perceived my condition and invited me to receive the prayers of his community. I did, and the group prayed over me for a long time. The next day, I could already notice a great improvement. The following Sunday, I was invited to visit their church where they invoked the Spirit of Jesus Christ over me. This provoked the same strong reactions that I I experienced when you were blessing me. After praying and doing battle with the demon for half a day they took a break and asked me to come back late in the afternoon when i returned they began praying again and when they helped me and they helped me to invoke the cleansing spirit of christ i fell to the ground when i was able to stand up again i was free from pain i felt liberated light i was myself again the person i used to be i thank you again for all you did for me i felt it was my duty to write to you and give you witness to what jesus christ has done for me the Lord accomplishes all sorts of miracles. He heals drug addicts and he frees victims 
whose curse is much worse than mine was. I want to give him glory with the witness of my deliverance. I'll tell you, uh, I'll give you the theological reason why this happened. Because Protestants have one valid sacrament, it's baptism. And oftentimes with that one sacrament, they seem to do more because of their, 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 their faith in Christ. They seem to be do more oftentimes than a lukewarm Catholic does with the benefit of all seven sacraments. Mm. And so the catechism explains some of the power that a Protestant may have when they pray over somebody in paragraph 819. It says, Furthermore, many elements of sanctification and of truth are found outside the visible confines of the Catholic Church. It's talking about Protestants. For example, they have what? The written word of God the life of grace, faith, hope, and charity, with the other interior gifts of the Holy Spirit, as well as, as, well as a visible element. Christ's Spirit uses these churches, and, and churches, that would be the Orthodox, we consider them churches, and ecclesial communities, those are Protestants, as means of salvation, whose power derives from the fullness of grace and truth that Christ has entrusted to the Catholic Church. All these blessings come from Christ and lead to him and are themselves calls to Catholic unity. So in other words, whatever good comes out of a Protestant prayer group, it's because they've derived their power and their theology and their Christology from the Catholic Church. So there's going to be some movement, some positive movement. There's going to be some power that's going to flow through. Uh, I'll continue the next paragraph. It says, Father Amorth says, Father Gabler Mort then does his best to explain why some non-Catholics may have achieved an apparent liberation of an obsessed individual, even as non-Christians. And um, the letter included his name and address and the address of of the Pentecostal Evangelical Christian Church that the Lord had used to heal him. I must confess that at first the letter was a bit disconcerting. Then I thought about the Gospel of Mark and the rebuke that John, the apostle, received from Jesus because of the following words, Mark 9, 38. Teacher... We saw a man casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he was not following us. Close quote. Instead, Father and Moore says, I tried to admire the faith of that community and to learn from the soldier's experience. Mm. Go ahead, Ruben. Okay, so he put the following on the back burner. Okay, no, this now Father Nix is saying, put the following on the back burner before we consider the final recipe of his blog post. One of the infallible dogmas of the Catholic Church is that outside the Catholic Church, there is no salvation. Here is what numerous popes have said about extra ecclesia. Well, I, I, we've got a whole list of quotes from, from uh, that. Uh, from He calls it E-E-N-S, extra ecclesia nolo salus. Outside but, the church, there's yeah. no salvation. Right. So we'll, 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 we'll make a couple of quotes on that in a minute here. But the Father goes on to say, I will refer to this simply as E-E-N-S for the rest of the the blog, seemingly unrelated, please put this on the back burner before going forward. An ordinary is a Roman Catholic bishop who governs a diocese. Currently, I cannot think of any ordinary in the world or anyone living in or around the Vatican who accepts the traditional teaching of EENS, Extra Ecclesia Nolosalis. Probably about 10 fringe bishops all over the world hold to EENS, but they are not ordinaries. Now, I cannot declare anyone a formal heretic, but notice that all Roman Catholic bishops who reject EENS are technically material 
heretics mm. and therefore schismatics. For according to St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa, whoever is a heretic is also a schismatic. Wow. Uh, keep in mind that any Eastern Orthodox bishop who would also be called a schismatic before Vatican II obviously rejects EENS in reference to the Roman Catholic Church. Of course, any evangelical Protestant pastor who the Catholic Church would also call a heretic before Vatican II also obviously rejects EENS in reference to the Catholic Church, but so do all the Catholic bishops today, except perhaps Archbishop Vigano, Schneider, Gracida, Williamson, uh, the SXPS bishops, and State of Acontes bishops. And uh, he invites you to, to email him if you know of any other names. Um, I'm, not sh- I'm not saying that all these normie bishops are going to hell for the diversion from traditional doctrine. I'm not their judge. Maybe they all have, have reduced culpability by inheriting a wonky doctrine they didn't want. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. In other words, Ruben, he's saying that they're malformed. That's what he's yeah, saying. exactly. They never heard this in seminary. Come no. on, Ruben. You know, since the 60s, they haven't heard E-E-N-S no. uh, in, 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 in any seminary. So go ahead. Go ahead. I doubt it. So I'm also not saying they're going to heaven either. But yeah. in any case, I'm just saying that the current lot of Catholic bishops in Eastern Orthodox and evangelicals are technically all in the same category as they all reject EENS. Thus, I am not going to treat an Ethiopian Orthodox metropolitan any differently from, say, the Roman Catholic Archbishop of a large archdiocese in Europe. I will treat both with charity, with deference and with the acceptance of the fact that they all have valid sacraments but are technically schismatic. The fact that they have the fact they have all rejected the traditional Catholic faith must give us a clue as to why Father Amorth applied this line to non-Catholics delivering ministry in the first few paragraphs. It says, quoting from the Gospel of uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 38 to 41, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him but he was because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able, will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, Whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So, of of course, it is also true that the intention, perhaps greatly in this case, especially in this full eclipse of the visibility of the Catholic Church. So imagine the particular judgment of the Roman Catholic bishops and cardinals who currently prevent, who are currently preventing people from entering the Catholic Church. Matthew 12, 30 to 31. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Mm -hmm. Collateral circulation is a cardiac term in medicine. Father is a former paramedic, so he's drawing from his paramedic background. He says, when a major artery on the heart, in this case, by analogy, the Catholic priesthood is clogged, the heart creates a vascular system around the obstructed artery called collateral circulation. This perfusion of cardiac tissue is a compensatory plan, not the original design. But as Dr. Malcolm in the original Jurassic Park movie says, life finds a way. Yes, it's still going through Mary, the mediatrix of all graces. Yes, it's still going through the Catholic Church. But even St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas hold that actual graces or prevenient graces can come into the lives of the unbaptized. That's interesting. Mm. I'll read that again. Even actual graces or prevenient graces can come into the lives of the, of the unbaptized, according to St. Augustine and St. Thomas of Aquinas. 
He says, I blogged here in the Life Update section of my site about how many people are coming to Christ through private revelations during dreams currently in the 21st century. Yeah, he's talking about the tens of thousands of Muslims that are seeing Jesus Christ appear to them and they're coming into the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church. Mm. He writes, apparently, if international missionaries have been nearly sunk by ecumenism, that term that carried the devil's lie of opening the church to the world, then Christ himself will go in search of the lost sheep across the globe. Mm. And even with seven books missing from the Bible, I find that the evangelicals in my life tend to be tend to hold to more of the Catholic deposit of faith <laughs> than the average uh, Novus Ordo Mass bishop in my life. You know, I'm thinking of guy, you know, Mike Huckabee, Lindell, mm. the Franklin Graham, John MacArthur, Greg Laurie. Some of these guys sound more Catholic, Ruben, than our bishops. Uh, Father says, so while I hold to outside the church, there's no salvation, I have to ask, who is truly more Catholic these days between an evangelical who believes at least in the divine revelation of the Bible and a putatively conservative bishop promotes, who promotes von Balthasar's dare we hope all might be saved garbage? Mm. I'm at the point where I believe the term Catholic has more to do with the data points on supernatural faith than with color vestments you put on. Yes. Good point. We'll continue talking about Father Dave Nick's well-written article. Jesus 911, stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151. We're back, Jesus 911. We're talking about an article that our friend uh, Father Dave Nix wrote on he who is not against us is for us and um he's making some great points and uh talking about the the um outside the church there's no salvation which he 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 pens e e n s extra ecclesia nolo salus um so he's saying father says that i'm not saying anyone from heretical nova sordo uh, mass bishops to mega church evangelicals to even myself he says is going to be saved without grace just because we're in a different time in church history, but I do do know difficult, difficult. Yeah. Oh, in a difficult time in in church history, but I do know that the current Vatican apparatus, soteriology of universalist Unitarianism, opposed publicly not by not a single cardinal in the entire world, by the way, is it clearly not the Catholicism preached by the apostles who originally asserted that Christ crucified and the magisterium is the only way to see the Blessed Trinity forever in heaven. Justice is taking him guts to write this because the, you know you don't hear. <laughs> that's this. why he. That's why he's a traveling hermit, Ruben. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean he's persona non grata in in most places. Yeah, but uh, the good thing is that he's still got he he's still within you know his bishop is still. Uh, well, he's yeah, still he has faculties. Yeah, 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 he's all faculties. Yeah, remember that according to the classic Roman definition, schism refers to a group who has valid sacraments but does not recognize the primacy of place of the Roman Pope. From 1054 to 1964, the Catholic Church called the Eastern Orthodox schismatic. But in 2022, after 60 years of mind-blowing confusion from Rome, we must ask, schism is now tatament to separation from whom? Separation from the two popes? <laughs> mm. Since 2013, mm. we have had two popes, right? Publicly recognize each other as the other valid pope as seen in the, uh, well, there's a picture, if you look at the article, there's a picture of the two popes. How can we traditional Catholics call the Eastern Orthodox schismatic just for refraining from being in union with our last 60, 60 years of Roman popes 
including the two popes now, who themselves tell the Eastern Orthodox not to become Catholic. <laughs> At least one of them tells them not to become yeah. Catholic. Yeah. He says, I'm not in the slightest, <laughs> I'm not in the slightest tempted to leave Jesus Christ crucified and risen or traditional Catholicism or the full deposit of faith. So don't panic if I occasionally quote a non-Catholic in a favorable, favorable light from time to time. It doesn't mean I'm, I'm going into their squad. In fact, the Apostle Paul once quoted a pagan poet to make a point when speaking in the Areopagus. And, he, and that, that quote is in, from the book of Acts 17, 22-25. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. That's pretty profound from a, from a pagan that yeah. puts that. Go ahead. Yeah, Dave. And you have a, a, a Father Nix is right there in the article. He's got a picture of Dennis Prager, mm-hmm. who he considers a man of goodwill. You know, he, he says these people oftentimes that, they're, he, you know, he'll he'll call them fellow travelers. We're traveling in the same direction, at least in terms of the culture wars, and and in terms of the fact they're at least theists. They believe that there's, you know, a, a God who gave us the Ten Commandments. Father writes, often when I quote a non-Catholic, unrightly believing on a unrightly believing topic X, Y, or Z, it may be an a fortiori argument as to why Catholics should believe X or Y or Z all the more. In such a case, the word even is extremely important to what I'm asserting. For example, if even an unbaptized conservative Jew, Dennis Prager, believes killing the unborn is wicked, so also should every Catholic. Indeed, one hazard with following me online without knowing me in real life is that people might see the above picture of Dennis Prager and I and assume that I didn't evangelize him because he's just smiling. In fact, I did evangelize him at a dinner at a, in a diner in California with a few mutual friends earlier this year. He wasn't offended. I also learned some things from him on how to better fight this culture war against leftists. It's something we're united on. It doesn't mean we pretend in ecumenism. We believe the same theology. It, it doesn't mean we pretend in ecumenism. We believe the same theology for, for salvation. So, if you're tempted to freak when I quote an Eastern Orthodox person or a Protestant, you should probably find a different traditional priest online to follow and donate to. I really don't need policing unless I myself speak or write heresy, in which case I hope you write to correct me. Short of that, please know I'm in no danger of becoming ecumenical just because I occasionally quote a non-Catholic politician or poet, as St. Paul did, or just because you see me with a bad Catholic. Also, you don't have the right to tell me that President Donald Trump has been married more than once. I already know that. I believe that none of us are ever going to find another person online with whom we agree with 100% of the time. Nope. Accepting heresy, of course, I think 90%, uh, I think 90% overlap on political issues is enough to keep listening to an online Catholic you mostly agree with. Mm. Go ahead, Ron. Yeah. Of course, we all should keep evangelizing people towards traditional Catholicism. We shouldn't be shocked that many evangelicals and Eastern Orthodox and even conservative Jews are extremely scandalized by the leftist Vatican tactics right now. Therefore, it's hard for them to discern entrance into the Catholic Church as decent conservative Christians. 
I think frequently of this quote on uh, Extra Ecclesia Nolosalis from Pope Pius IX from the 19th century, as I consider one current crisis. By This is the, the quote. By faith it is to be firmly held that outside the apostolic Roman church none can achieve salvation. This is the only ark of salvation. He who does not enter into it will perish in the flood. Nevertheless, equally certain, it is to be held that those who suffer from invincible ignorance of the true religion are not, for this reason, guilty in the eyes of the Lord, Pope Pius IX. And uh, he's quoting Denziger. Page uh, uh, is 1647 um, and, and, and Ott, uh, Lurid, uh, page 312. You know, um, just that's also, that, that, that term, invincible ignorance, is it's thrown around really lightly, you know, as if, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, he, he doesn't know any better. Uh, but with this day and age, there's really no um, no excuse <laughs> to, to not be able to learn the and, truth. Yeah, in the 20 and 21st century, it's gonna, you're going to be hard-pressed when you die and see the Lord and say, I was invincibly ignorant that Jesus Christ started the Catholic Church. I was invincibly ignorant that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. You're going to have be hard-pressed to argue in the age of the Internet, the age of information, uh, when you die and, and go before the judgment seat of Christ. And I've had some, I've had some you know, pretty, um, pretty good uh, talks with some Protestant friends. And, and, you know, sometimes I'll throw that at them, you know, at the end, because they're just, you're, you can't, there's no reasoning with some of these guys. And, and I'll say, okay, well, just remember, and I look at my watch, okay, it's, it's now 10 o'clock on, you know, September 22nd, okay, so you're not going to be be able to claim invincible ignorance because on this day I told you that you know, I mm-hmm. I tell them you know Jesus Christ started the one true church and and he wants you to be part of it you know <laughs> and uh, so they kind of look at me kind of strange but uh, so we just uh, we we go our separate ways but you know you just keep praying for them and and I yeah. think it's interesting what he says that we evangelize people towards traditional Catholicism Jesse since we started this show you know um, we've been trending in that direction and and i can't tell you how many people that are, that i know or they 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 email me saying that they're now attending you know the traditional latin mass and uh you know just a, a guy the other day a deputy in fact you know he says i went to my first latin mass over in alhambra you know at saint therese um uh, with the carmelites and uh, i think it's a norbertine that does the mass there but uh you know and and they love it he wants to know where he can get a missile and and uh, and it, the, the reason, um, it's, it's becoming, I guess it's popular because it, it's really challenging them. The mass is something that's, it's the most, um, it's the most beautiful thing this side of heaven. And, and, and so when you, you, you people, you send them to some of these Novo Sardo parishes, they lose their faith because they, especially if they're coming from, from like a, a, a very conservative protestant background you know yeah. they say i've been reading about this stuff in the catholic church and yeah because there are some conservative conservative liturgical protestant backgrounds like high church protestants episcopalians yeah, yeah the anglicans, the, yeah. The anglicans yeah. dutch reformed the reformed churches they have a liturgy and they have a high liturgy they have they have they have organs and stuff and so when they walk into a banjos or electric guitars they're saying what is this mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, you got a whole drum set up there on the on the altar, right? Guy banging away like Ringo Starr, you know. I, I, you know that that wasn't happening at the foot of the cross, so it shouldn't be happening at, at mass. You know? Hey, Ruben, here's here's a you'll like this one. 
I tell people that the, the first Latin mass was at the foot of the cross. <laughs> think, think, no, think about this. So we, we, know, we know what the mass is. It, is. it is Calvary made present, or the once and for all sacrifice of Calvary, represented in every altar when the words of consecration are prayed. And so at Calvary, that was the first mass because all the enemies of Christ around him were praying in Latin. He had, yeah, he had people there all around, witnesses. They're praying in Latin. Hey, some were praying in Hebrew. Some were praying in Greek. So the Mass, when it's done properly, those are the three languages that need to be top-heavy. Latin, the language of Mother Church. Some Greek, Alleluia's Greek. You know, the Kyrieles, that that's Greek. Uh, and then uh, every time you say Amen, that's Hebrew. Hosanna, that's Hebrew. So you have Hebrew-Greek sprinkled into the Latin Mass, but you know I tell people the first Latin Mass was at the foot of the cross. You had people there that were, some were praying, because there were some pagan Romans that converted to Christianity. They were praying in Latin. Some, were, maybe, some may have been cursing in Latin. Some were praying in Hebrew. Some may have been cursing in Hebrew. Some were praying in Greek. Some may have been cursing in Greek. But there was, there was definitely a Mass going on on Calvary. Wow. And it wasn't in English or Spanish or Chinese. No mariachis there, Jess? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he goes on. Let, to, yeah. Go, go to, uh, Father goes on to say, notice that invincible ignorance means certain people don't know Christ or the fullness of the positive faith, or they could not have known better. Invincible ignorance, on the other hand, means that they could have known better but still rejected Christ. Now, I'm not clearly not, I'm not making excuses for anyone not becoming Catholic, but realize that on the streets... I'm much more compassionate to non-Catholics than, than how I berate the heretical hierarchy on this blog. We'll be right back. Pick this up on the other side of the break. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 888- Five two six two one five one. Jesus nine one one. Where iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. We're re- we're referring to Father Dave Nix's article on he who is not against us is for us. And um, he, Ruben, let me just mention I, one thing about invincible ignorance. <clears throat> it is it is something that you do find in Scripture, but again, I think it it, it can be abused. Yep. In in Luke chapter twelve. Verse 49, it says, Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And of him to whom to whom men commit much, they will demand the more. Here's here's two other ones in John which are very clear. This one's probably the, the, the clearest teaching I've ever heard on invincible ignorance, right from the New Testament, right from the lips of Christ. <clears throat> it's in John chapter 9, verse 41. It reads... Uh, yeah, John nine forty one. <clears throat> it says, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Mm. So that's a clear teaching that somebody can be blind to the truth. They have, Jesus says they have no guilt. But once you, now that you see, now your guilt remains. He also says the same thing in John fifteen twenty two. So this is right from the lips of our Lord. So there are people whose 
again, who do fall into this camp, but I think it can be abused. In the 20th century, it's going to be hard to plead that case that you, don't, you didn't know. Yeah. John 15, 22, here's another one. It says, very clear, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's spoken to them. So there's a theology of of, in utero of 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 invincible ignorance. But let's go back to the article. Okay, Uh, just finished up this paragraph. Yeah, the father says uh, he he says that he's much more compassionate to non-Catholics than how I berate the heretical hierarchy on this blog. Why? Because such false shepherds are blocking the way of Christ's potential sheep into the fold. I know very well that there are many broken sheep out there searching for the truth. But what they see from the mainstream Catholic media is a total different religion from what is found on this website. Hmm. Go ahead. We must. We really must pray that these wolves governing the Catholic Church leave us, so that we shepherds like me, who am very weak, says Father Nix, but at least believe in outside the church there's no salvation, <clears throat> may continue shepherding evangelicals and others on the street and my pathway into the Catholic Church with less resistance coming from the top. I feel the same way. Yeah. yeah. Keep in mind the classic truths I'm promoting never would have been controversial a hundred years ago. Thus, it's the hierarchy that has changed, not the Catholic faith. This can only be explained by the, here it is, by the, the, the true third secret of Fatima, namely that the apostasy would start at the top. No, an apostasy of the hierarchy from the top has never been predicted in any Marian apparition before Fatima. So don't tell me, We've seen we've seen times this dark in church before. Nope. I have I see so many good <clears throat> blue collar conservatives around the country, like people doing truckers chapels, also near my home in the above picture, attempting to follow Christ as best they can. But why would they become Catholic, seeing woke, seeing seeing woke left in the hierarchy? Leftists following their satanic religion continue to commandeer the so called Catholic and Jesuit universities and their attempts to steal money and destroy minds. But the grassroots Christians all over the world are perhaps those who the Apostle Paul would not would call not mighty and not noble. In 1 Corinthians one twenty five, St. Paul says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For see your vocation, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But the foolish things of the world hath God chosen, that he may confound the wise, and the weak things of the world hath God chosen, that he may confound the strong. Mm. Yeah, in heaven you're going to see a complete, a complete inversion of, of, of what we saw in America. You're going to see uh, the person, you know, the old lady from the Legion of Mary would going to daily Mass, praying her rosary before Mass. She's going to have a high exalted place in heaven, and you're going to see people like Brandon and others that are going to have a low place if they even get there, mm-hmm. uh, or they may have be in the if they don't repent, they're going to be in the deepest bowels of hell. Yeah. By God's grace, many conservative Americans are already becoming traditional Catholics, despite the scandals in the Catholic Church. We must evangelize these people towards traditional Catholicism, but we also must be clearly patient with people of goodwill, especially due to his, this church crisis where leftists and the hierarchy make the entire Catholic Church look like an enormous cult of unbelievers. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't be scandalized that even un, that even the unbaptized receive what St. Augustine call prevenient graces at 
the extraordinary race before people are even able to recognize advanced terms like outside the church, there's no salvation. Ruben? Yeah, that pervenient grace is just that phrase used to describe the grace given by God that precedes the act uh, of a sinner exercising saving faith in Jesus Christ. So pervenient graces are why I am such a believer in collateral circulation. When the Catholic priesthood, God's chosen method of salvation, is clogged by heresy and schism, God is not bound to our sloth as he saves souls. I believe Mary and the Catholic Church are the conduit of all graces, but these initial graces may come in unusual ways as the visibility of the Catholic Church seems to be in full eclipse as that one prophecy predicted. And uh, um, no, I'm not proposing Rahner's preposterous anonymous Christian, for Rahner promoted neo-Pelagianism where one could be saved without the grace of Jesus Christ. That's just, that's ludicrous. <clears throat> but he well, call Ron another modernist Jesuit from the sixties. Yeah, and he was there at Vatican too. He's one of the yep, one of the yeah, experts. Parides, yeah. yeah. So, I do want to go into this last uh, story. I think we um, sure go ahead. Okay, so I ponder. So this is a fictional story that he quotes. It's called Antichrist by Soloviev, a Russian man who converted from Eastern Orthodox to Catholic shortly after writing this around the year nineteen hundred. He says, I find it fascinating because in Solovev's account, God uses the final Antichrist at the end of the time to unite the remaining faithful Catholics, Roman Catholics, led by Pope Peter II, and Eastern Orthodox, led by Elder John, and Protestants, led by Professor Pauli, all under the final Roman Catholic Pope, again, Pope Peter II. Notice, as you read the closing quote, that I'm not saying it's, it's good enough to die a typical Eastern Orthodox man or a typical American evangelical gal. But in that fictional account by Solo Oviv, it is divine providence who ironically uses the final Antichrist to unite all faithful Christians into becoming Catholics at the very last scene of Earth's history. Yes, Solo Oviv's Antichrist has killed the final Christians, but they are all found incorrupt, for they have had all just united as Catholics under the final Pope, Pope Peter II. Notice also that very last sentence regarding a brilliant light is the second coming of Christ in his glory. Go ahead, Jess. The party that came for the bodies found them quite untouched by decomposition, not even stiff or heavy. They put them on stretchers and covered them with the clothes they had brought with them. Then by the same circuitous route, they returned to their followers. They had hardly lowered the stretcher to the ground when suddenly the spirit of life could be seen re-entering the deceased bodies. The bodies moved swiftly as if they were trying to throw off the cloaks in which they were wrapped. With shouts of joy, everyone lent them aid and soon both the revived men rose to their feet, safe and sound. Then said Elder John, Ah, my little children, we have not parted after all. I will tell you this. It is time that we carry out the last prayer of Christ for his disciples, that they should be all, that they should be all one, even as he himself is one with the Father. For this unity in Christ, let us honor our beloved brother Peter. Let him at last pasture the flocks of Christ. There it is, brother. And he put his arms around Peter. Again, this is a story, a fictitious story being shared by uh, Solaviv on the Antichrist at the end of time. Then Professor Pauli came near. You are Peter, he said to the Pope. <clears throat> now it has been thoroughly proven and put beyond any doubt. And he shook Peter's hand firmly with his own right hand while he stretched out his left hand to John saying, Now then, dear father, we are now one in Christ. In this manner, the unification of churches took place in the midst of a dark night on a high and deserted spot. But the nocturnal darkness was suddenly illuminated with brilliant light. Um, you, you know, Ruben, this story 
to me, this is plausible. Very, that yeah. the only thing that's going to unite us at the very end, after, when the Antichrist comes, is going to be the Antichrist is going to unite the Catholics, Protestants, and Orthodox. But they are all going to know they're going to come under Holy Mother Church, under the Big Brother, the Catholic Church. And at that point, it, it is said that we are going to have a good Holy Pope at the time of the Antichrist mm-hmm. uh, that's going to uh, defend Holy Mother the Church. Yeah, I mean, you when you read Catholic prophecy, that this kind of trends in that direction, that what this guy is saying, that it's going to be, a, you know, like you said, uh, under the banner of, of Peter, you know, and... <clears throat> And the church, so it could very, very well happen. I believe that's how it's going to happen eventually. It makes sense. It makes sense. It makes sense because uh, again, the prophecy says that we're going to have a good pope, uh, you know, to to help us through the tribulation at the time of the antichrist. And uh, well, it can't get any worse than what we have now, Jesse. R- r- no, no, you're right. There's, there could only be an improvement from this point on, and it all it also makes sense that Christ's prayer in John seventeen twenty one, it's finally going to become true mm. at the point of persecution where we're all going to unite mm. under a holy Roman Pope. Right. I, and Jesus says in that verse, I pray, Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. You know, and so Jesus' prayers are not going to go out void. Yes, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's just not like I think or, you know, bite your nails and, you know, tw- uh, you know, you know, um, cross your fingers. No, this is going to, this is Christ's prayer. It, the church will be totally united. Protestants and Orthodox will come under the, under the, uh, the umbrella of the Holy Mother, the church, and it will be before the second coming of Christ. Christ's prayer in John seventeen twenty one is going to come true because what Jesus Christ says and prays, it comes to pass. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, he made some good points in this article, Ruben. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. Yeah. Again, um, Protestants, I think that there's a lot of them that are people of goodwill. Uh, you know, in fact, in the Dewey Reigns Bible, if you read Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the angels pray when they see Jesus Christ, the birth of Christ, and they say, in the Dewey Reigns, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men of good will. Now, Hey, not everybody in Bethlehem, uh, you know, was a follower of Christ. But yet the angels say that there are men of goodwill. Again, I think people like Dennis Prager and others, you know, Mike uh, Huckabee, I think that as they continue pursuing the truth, Christ will reveal himself to them before they breathe their last. Mm. That's my take. All right. Good stuff, Jess. You've been listening yep. to Jesus 911. Uh, you like the show, share it. And... And uh, we appreciate your patronage. Stay tuned for Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Mishuda from the Midwest Command Center. Remember, we're still in the month of September, month of our, our Lady of Sorrows. Pray her chaplet. I've been doing that myself. Very powerful. And remember, we're in our Ember Days. We talked about that on Tuesday. So Friday and Saturday, doing your fasting. We'll be right back. We'll be back tomorrow.